Morning, church. Great to be with you today. Thanks, everybody, for joining us online and being here in the room. It feels good, man. Might not be summer out there, per se, but in here we got lots to celebrate. Amen? Yeah, we're going to worship God with our giving this morning. And I was reading this week in Deuteronomy, one of my favorite pieces of the Bible, that says, give thanks to the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. I love that. I love that God gives you the ability. He gives you the hands. He gives you the mobility that you're ambulatory. He gives you the intelligence. He gives you the capability to do everything you need to have everything you require to look after the people that are in your house, people in your community. So we give God glory for that. And we give back to him with joy and thanksgiving. Ushers, you come forward. Let me pray for us. And we'll have our today's teaching. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the innumerable ways in which you continue to demonstrate that you are faithful, that you will always be our provider, that you will always be the source and the sustenance of our way forward, that you bring hope and healing to our community, to our homes, to our church, that you're everything to us. And so when we give, Lord, we give not out of a sense of obligation, but we give because we believe. We believe, Jesus, that you're the most perfect man that ever lived and you should be exemplified and honored. And we believe, Jesus, that you're more than just a man. It's your spirit that helps us become better men and women made in the image and likeness of our creator. So Lord, we're believers. And we're here as your church, worshiping and honoring you and giving out of the abundance that you have first given to us. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to teach you a really simple prayer today. I learned it a couple of years ago from a friend of mine named Greg. It's a little, a little formula for prayer and by formula, I just mean something easy to remember. Because there's no magic formula for praying. It's not like if you get all the words right or in the right order, all of a sudden God is compelled to do exactly what you want. That's not how prayer works. Prayer makes us more like God. Because we belong to God. Because we were made in God's image and likeness. And the quest of the Christian life is to become more, more godly. So this is a really simple prayer. It has four lines. I'm sorry, forgive me, thank you, I love you. That's it. Now again, there's nothing magic about the prayer. It's just an easy way for us to reflect on our own lives, our own spiritual lives and our lives before God. And I got to tell you, this, this is a good time for reflection. It's common for people to refer to this as a, a rebuilding stage. You know, we've come through a lot in the last 12 or 15 months, and we're going to have to put some things back together. But we want to make sure our foundation is solid when we do that. And um, in order for our foundation to be solid, we, we're going to have to do some critical self-examination. And probably this last while hasn't been a real ripe time for self-evaluation. It's been a real time for bewilderment, confusion, frustration, anger, blame. But, but usually when we're looking at all the things that went wrong in the last, you know, 12, 15 months, we're looking outside of ourselves. And today it's, it's good for us to look in here. And as I was thinking about this and, and praying about this, I started reading through the Proverbs because it feels like wisdom has been really absent in our culture the last season. And so we have a good repository of wisdom. 
in the scriptures. In the book of Proverbs, one of the wisdom literature books, and Proverbs uh, 17.9 says, um, love flourishes when an offense is forgiven. I want to be somebody hallmarked by love. I want love in my life to flourish, which means I've got to be somebody who, who forgives. But not only somebody who offers forgiveness, uh, to, to be honest, I, I'm somebody who needs forgiveness. And, and probably so are you. And so I just started thinking through this prayer, this simple prayer. My friend Greg taught it to me, and I think, you know, we have to be able to acknowledge that we didn't do everything perfectly this last year, or heck, in this last weekend. And it's common for us when we realize that we weren't perfect to say, I'm sorry. I grew up in Canada. We're sorry for everything. Oh, sorry. Sorry we didn't win the Stanley Cup. Sorry that you took all our players. Sorry. Sorry that you cut in line in front of us. I'm so sorry. I should. I'm so sorry this light is taking so long. I don't know. It never takes us long. I'm sorry. But sorry is kind of a, a cheap apology. To say that you're sorry is a, is a way to say, like, here's this thing that I shouldn't even really mention, and let's get, let's get past it real quick. I'll, I'll mention it, but then let's, let's move on. And I think that's one of the real problems we have in our spiritual life, and that's one of the real problems we have in our, like in our homes, in our romances, in our marriages, in our relationships with our kids, is we just sort of gloss over the things that we do wrong. Oh, sorry about that. Meaning, now that I've said something out loud about it, let's move on. Now, it is important to acknowledge that you may have screwed some things up, but something much deeper than an apology is repentance. To be able to say, please forgive me. When's the last time you asked somebody for forgiveness? When's the last time you, you looked at somebody and you said, I treated you in a way that was disrespectful, dishonorable, unkind. I, I overlooked you. I didn't listen. I didn't care. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. When's the last time you said, you know what? Yesterday, I was way out of line. I was a huge jerk. There's no excuse for that. I, I need to own my own garbage. Tell you, I'm sorry. P please forgive me. When's the last time you said that at home? Or to a friend. Now, I come from a tradition steeped in repentance. We got really good at it. We were reminded often that we needed it. We needed to repent. We were, we were very, very short of God's um, perfect standard. And there's some real merit in that, some real truth in that. But something happens when you become inundated with this need to repent, you, you become sort of numb to it. And you start to rationalize it. You go, well, you know what the problem is with telling everybody you're sorry and asking for their forgiveness all the time is, uh, well, it doesn't, doesn't always work. Meaning the relationship isn't always healed. Meaning sometimes they'll say, sure, yeah, no big deal, don't worry about it. But inwardly, they're still hanging on to it. They're going to remind you about it later. They're going to bring it up in front of somebody else. It's going to be a joke at a party if they have one too many cocktails, which might be zero, because they're just waiting for a chance to bring it up and remind everybody what a turd you are. After a while, you go, what, what's the point of 
asking for forgiveness if the forgiveness I get is manipulative or cheap. Or, and, and so you rationalize it, and as a result, you, you, stop, you stop asking for forgiveness. But who told you that the purpose of repentance was to get a different result from another person's behavior? Who, who confused repentance with manipulation? Because it's not primarily about what happens between you and the person you've wronged. It's about what happens in here. And you've got a choice about whether you'll be the kind of person who earnestly seeks rightness before God. To be a person who's got a clean heart, who's got a clean mind. Or, or if you're just looking to sweep this problem into your past and kind of move on and not worry about it anymore. It's really, it's really different. So I bring this up because um, I have a hunch that a lot of you did some stuff over the last year or so that you really wish you hadn't. Maybe you weren't perfect at home or in your relationships. And now it's, you know, it's time to rebuild, but you got some business to take care of first. You got to clear out the ledger. You got to own up to your own shortcomings and your own flaws and the ways you've, you hurt people. And, and that's hard. That's hard for me to admit. I bet that's hard for you to admit too. And once you realize it, then you go, oh man, I, in order for me to move forward, I've got to find humility and trust God for mercy. And it is trusting God for mercy. I don't know about you, but oftentimes if you ever admit that you didn't do something perfectly, if you admit that you did something wrong, it feels like you're just loading a gun and handing it to somebody else. And you know what? You're right. Oh, if I admit I'm wrong, they'll use it against me. They, they, they could. But again... The purpose of asking for forgiveness is not to change their behavior, but to transform your heart. I mean, think about it in the opposite direction. If you're somebody who never admits that you were wrong, never acknowledges that you stepped out of line, never goes to anyone else and searches after their forgiveness, never, never tells them, I'm sorry, please forgive me. If you never do that, what kind of human are you in 10 or 20 or 30 years. You're angry. That's what kind of human you are. Because when you refuse to admit that you were wrong, when you refuse to seek recompense, reconciliation, restitution with somebody else, your mind does all kinds of backflips to convince you that really the thing you did wasn't that wrong in the first place. Like honestly, nobody's perfect. We don't... We're all going to screw up a little bit. I screw up, you screw up, you know. So what if I shot you in the head? I mean, you hurt my feelings in third grade. It's the potato, potato, you know. Now we, we bend ourselves into knots. 
And then the tension that we feel with this other person, the person that we've wronged, we, we go, well, I mean, it takes two to tango. What about them? What about what they did? And we start to blame them, and then we start to blame our circumstances, and then we start to blame our society, we start to blame our church, we start to blame our government, we blame our schools, we bl and wow, there's a lot of people to blame as long as you don't have to blame yourself. And it's fascinating how easily and how quickly we stop looking inward and project all of our pain outward. We filmed a commercial this week at the church, which was fun. I like doing that. I like getting a bunch of people together. And I'd been thinking a little bit about this commercial for the last couple of weeks. And so I'd been testing out the questions that I would ask people to get their responses on film. You know, I asked the, the gas station attendant, and I bumped into somebody at Target and asked them. And, um, you know, at the gym, I would ask a few people. And the, the answers were really distressing. Because I asked two questions. Number one, I asked, what regrets do you have from the last 12 to 15 months about your own attitudes, desires, and habits? And number two, what things give you hope and optimism for the future? But, but it's that first question that was the trick. What regrets do you have about your own attitudes, desires, and behaviors from the last 12 to 15 months. And a shocking number of people responded with, I really regret that they canceled school sports. I really regret that they closed down the restaurants. I really regret that they wouldn't let us go to church. I really regret that they weren't listening to marginalized people. Are they bad listeners? Is that who they are? <laughs> what regrets do you, church, have about your own attitudes, desires, and habits over the last 12 to 15 months? Because I got to, I didn't get through it perfectly. I've had to ask for forgiveness a lot in this last year. That's so hard. That's so hard to admit that I fell short. But that's the starting place. If we're going to rebuild something better, if we're going to look to a future, a hope, and a promise, it better be than what we had 18 months ago. Like if you're going to rebuild your marriage... You better rebuild it better than it was in 2019. That was not the idealized apex of romance and family in your home. Right? If you're going to rebuild your home, you better rebuild it better than it was in 2015. If you're going to rebuild your church, we better rebuild it better than it was in whatever. And the only way we can get better is if we acknowledge that we were part of what was bad. My own corruption, my own short-sightedness, my own selfishness, my own ego, my own uh, distractions, my, my, my own cleverness, whatever the things are, those were part of the problem. And we need to acknowledge it and ask for forgiveness for it. 
There's perhaps no better story of forgiveness in the scripture than the parable Jesus told of the prodigal son. So the prodigal is a wealthy landowner. He has two sons. And one of them is a, he's a brat. He's spoiled. And he says to his dad, I want my inheritance early. I know you're not dead. I just want what's coming to me eventually. And I'm going to make my own way. The father says, here's the portion of inheritance that I've set aside for you. Young son grabs the money, blows it. I'm partying. Women, gambling, liquor, whatever. Totally not a parable with any relationship to today. No one would ever do that now, but back then they were bad, you know. Blows all the money, runs out, ends up feeding pigs and going, this sucks. Why did I ever do this to my family? Marches back with his hat in his hand to ask his father's forgiveness. And while he was a long way off, the father sees the son, runs out to him, throws his arms around him, and the son says, Father, forgive me. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer even worthy to be called your son. How's that for an admission of guilt? And the father says, my son, today is a day for rejoicing because you were lost to me, but now you are found. You were taken from me, but now you have been returned. See, this is the amazing power of repentance. It's because it is coupled with forgiveness, and forgiveness always generates gratitude. Like when you know that you've been forgiven for something that you really screwed up. Like you really hurt somebody. You really said something you shouldn't have said. You really acted in a way that was entirely selfish. You were, you were mean. You were mean on purpose. You were deliberately pointed and accusatory knowing it would cause damage. You did that and then you had to own up to it. And then to receive forgiveness in the bold face of your sin, that's overwhelmingly gracious. And at that moment, you, what else can you feel but, but gratitude? Thank you. Thank you for letting me start over. Thank you for bringing me back into your house. Thank you for letting this be a new beginning between you and I. Thank you for not imprisoning me in the things I used to do and the person I used to be because now I want to be better with you and for you. That's the power of forgiveness. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Thank you. Now, many people have no idea about the transformational power of forgiveness. Not because they've never been forgiven, but because they never think they did anything wrong worth forgiving. And here our ego gets in the way. And I think this is a uniquely religious problem, or at least a predominantly religious problem. If you grow up, especially in church, and you hear the good news of the gospel of God, that when you repent of your sins, Christ is faithful and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You go, I repented. I said the Lord's prayer or whatever. And now I lay me down to sleep. A bag of Jesus at my feet. If I should die before I wake, heaven something something take, right? And you think, well, now I'm, I'm safe. I've repented. I'm forgiven. And then Christian people have an alarming tendency to think that they've never actually sinned again. Well, as long as I don't, uh, you know, do something criminal or have an affair, break one of the Ten Commandments, then more or less I'm, I'm pretty good. 
But what about all the times that we're dismissive, prejudiced, bigoted, blind? What, what about all the times that our ego gets in the way of loving and serving others? That we rationalize away our virtue in favor of our comfort. But if we don't ever acknowledge that those are sins, if we don't ever ask for forgiveness for any of those things, we never get the joy of being forgiven. See, asking for forgiveness, repentance, that's a lifestyle, man. That's not a one-time deal. That's a daily practice. That's like breathing. You don't think you did anything wrong or worthy of forgiveness in the last, well, 128 hours? You live alone? I bet the people around you might have a different perspective. But once you've been, once you've been called out, laid bare, open, once the mask has dropped and the pretense has fallen away, once you have genuinely sought forgiveness and received it, you're overwhelmed with gratitude. And you're able to enthusiastically respond by telling the other person, I love you. I love you. There's no barrier between you and me. Neither my sin nor your bitterness. That barrier is removed. I, I love you. We're not going to keep a record of all the wrong stuff we do. We're not going to bean count in our relationship. No, the, the ledger's been wiped clean, man. I, I love you. I would love to be a person hallmarked by love. I would love to belong to a church that has a reputation for being the most loving church ever. I would love to be a constituent of a religion that was hallmarked by love. Fifteen years ago, give or take, the Dalai Lama made huge headlines. The, the state figure of Tibetan Buddhism said, religion, or pardon me, kindness is my religion. And people lost their minds for it. Oh, it's so beautiful, it's so sink. Yeah, it is, it's amazing. What a nice way to say it. You know, there's something more powerful than kindness. It's just that Christians haven't proven that that's our religion yet. we got a lot of work to do to prove the truth of our claims that God is love. That greater love has no one than this, that he'd lay down his life for his friends. And we got, we got a lot of work to do to make sure those are things other than tweets. But like Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much loves much. So it's time for you and I to look at ourselves and go, man, over the last 12 to 18 months, what attitudes, desires, and habits do I regret? Because we might need to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And thank you. I love you. Love, Proverbs 11 says, covers a multitude of sins. You want to know the way forward in your family? Love. You want to know the way forward in our culture? It's love. The way forward in our church? It's, it's love. The way forward for you is love, which means you and I got to do two things. Number one, we got to be the people 
who are humble enough to ask for forgiveness and receive it. And number two, we got to be the people who offer forgiveness even before it's requested. The most powerful kind of forgiveness is the forgiveness you can offer that they don't want and they can't deserve. Because just like repentance transforms your heart, forgiveness restores your heart. Forgiveness isn't just about being nice to them or getting back on track. Forgiveness is about making sure your heart is clean and your hands are open and you're ready to move forward with God. Just say it with me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you continue to work in us, shaping us and molding us. And Lord, sometimes it feels like we're a long way off from the people you've destined us to become. But we know you're not finished with us yet. And so we want to work with you, not against you. When you chasten us, we want to respond in humility. When you spur us on, we want to respond with eagerness and optimism for our growth and development. We want to listen to your spirit. We want to study your word. We want to commit to your church. We want to heal your world, Lord, because we believe that every day in innumerable ways you are forging us into people of the future. With your help and with your glory, that's exactly what we want. So Lord, as your people, we say thank you. We love you. Amen.